0: Are still some fundamentalist communities who practice blood atonement and it's so disgusting and it's hard to even talk about. I was terrified because I had something to confess, guys.
1: The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been one of the fastest-growing religions in the world for many years, but outsiders have questioned whether it's a cult for even longer. The history of secrecy and violence associated with the Mormon Church has been the cause of speculation and suspicion since the early 1800s. Today, we are joined by one of my very good friends to talk about her experience growing up in the Mormon Church. She also happens to be the host of the incredibly popular YouTube channel, Cults to Consciousness. Shalise, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you?
0: Jamie, that was the coolest intro. I'm just like, I'm so happy to be here. And I'm like, I need to step up my intro game. That was great. I already have so much to say about what you said about Mormonism. We'll get into that in a minute. Thanks for having me. It's always so much fun to chat with you. I feel honored to be here.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. I know that uh, my subscribers are going to be incredibly excited to see you. Uh, (laughs) We did an episode together on my experience growing up in the shiny happy people cult.
2: Yes, And
1: so getting to learn more about your life and growing up in Mormonism is just really exciting. Uh, My good friend and former cult member Bryce is also here today. Bryce, how are you? Woo-hoo. Doing great,
3: doing great. I was actually a little sickened by his intro. I had to watch him do it in front of the mirror like eight <laughs> times
2: and just,
1: I was like Ugh, you're fine. It's good. You've got it. <laughs> yeah, he nailed exactly. it. He nailed it. So Shalise, you you actually grew up in Utah and the, the the heartland of Mormonism, right?
0: I did. Yeah, I have one of those awesome bragging rights, or at least it was cool when I was Mormon, that I could be like, yeah, my great-great forgot the number of greats. Grandma was the first woman to be baptized in England. Like, that's how Mormon I am. Come from pioneer stock is what they would call it. So, yeah, settled in Utah, both sides of my family came from Mormonism, and it was just all that we did, all that we knew. And right in the middle of Utah, further north from Salt Lake, so kind of in the middle of nowhere, we were very isolated in our own little community population, I don't know, 5,000 or something. So if you can imagine a very small hick town with lots of cornfields and cows, that's where I grew up.
1: Oh, wow. So you were you were kind of out in the the country
0: in the boondocks. Yeah.
1: Wow. Now, (laughs) now, were you associated or affiliated with the fundamental Mormon church or was this modern Mormon?
0: So I was in we call it mainstream Mormonism because that's the one that's like three hundred billion dollars worth and the fundamentalist mormons those are the ones that most people think of when they think of mormons because they've been televised and kind of romanticized by tv what you have like sister wives big love those are the ones that followed continue to follow the prophet the original prophet joseph smith's teachings and continue to practice polygamy when the government came to Utah and was like, you guys can't do this anymore. And they're like, sure. And then they kept doing it. And then the government was like, we will literally put you in jail. And they're like, fine. So they gave it up and some still continue to practice in secret. And then that's when those branches started happening. So you have like the Warren Jeffs, which they call themselves the FLDS. And then you have the order. And then you have uh, the Kingston clan. There's a whole bunch of different fundamentalist groups in Utah. I will be honest. Davy and Bryce, I was not aware of a single one of them. I was so just like locked away in my bubble because mainstream Mormonism does not tell you about these guys because they don't want you to know about them because they know that if you do a little bit of research, you'll find out that they're living closer to the prophet's teachings than the real, not the real church, than the mainstream Mormon church because they had to disavow all of the stuff that made them look really bad. So I just had no concept of them, and I would get so mad when I moved out to Portland, and we could talk about this more in a second, but when I got there, people were like, how many moms do you have? And I was like, that's not me. Like, we stopped doing that so long ago. I would be so angry. I'm like, we don't practice polygamy anymore. That was like 150 years ago, but I didn't know that they were being broadcast and televised and that
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's what people thought Mormons did. So very sheltered.
3: Yeah, that, that's like finding out somebody's Pentecostal and asking how many snakes they've held. It's like, dude, <laughs> can you not?
0: Can you not?
1: <laughs> well, and, and that's the interesting thing is that, you know, Mormonism, the Latter-day Saints disavowed polygamy in like 1890. So it hasn't been a thing for a really long time. But like you said, there's these splinter groups mm-hmm. that, you know, continued practicing polygamy uh like warren jeffs uh calvin wayman who you and i both know Mm -hmm. he grew up in one of these fundamental mormon polygamy cults and they're still thriving out there but it's interesting that mainstream mormonism doesn't even mention them uh to the membership so much so that you were completely unaware of their existence that's wild
0: yeah i didn't know people were still doing it they did not tell us whatsoever and they just told us the whole story which you learn later on, and guys, if you're watching this and you're Mormon, I love you. My heart goes out to you. I have been in your shoes, and I know a lot of the things that I'm going to say are going to really piss you off, and I don't mean it to offend you, but I just would love to invite you to go research it for yourself because there's going to be a lot of things that you're like, that's not true. And I was the same way when I was Mormon until I really researched it.
1: I, I think that's that's so similar across a lot of different religions yeah mainstream christianity we've got the weird little fundamental groups that we completely disavow uh, yeah but it all came it it all came from the same place
3: well i mean i'm I'm a little curious because like i grew up uh first baptist right so southern baptist first baptist and then there's second baptist and then there's independent baptist and there's all of these versions of baptist and it's just nuances of things they go well we think this and we think that or whatever and you know, but you would drive by their churches. Is it like that? Like if you have a small town that's like 95% Mormon, is there like that's the mainstream Mormon temple and then this is the other one? Or is it like, nope, this town is owned by this
0: version? Right. So what I learned through talking with Amanda Ray and Calvin Wayman, two people I've interviewed on my channel who are from different fundamentalist sects of Mormonism, they said that they looked at our temples like the giant castle ones that you guys know about and have seen down the road i'm sure um as like blasphemy or like that's not the real temple and when jesus comes back and he kills all of the mainstream mormonisms who are clearly doing it wrong we're gonna take over those temples and they're gonna be ours because we know the right way to do it so they don't even have their own temples they would just do temple ceremony type things in people's houses.
1: That's so interesting. Yeah, so so there is this definite divide between mainstream Mormonism and pretty much every other sect of Mormonism.
0: Fundamentalism, yeah.
1: Yeah. So so what was what was your experience growing up in in Mormonism? Mm-hmm. What was what was the church like for you?
0: So, here's the thing. I always have to preface this by saying I'm not claiming any wild and crazy Mormon story because I honestly had a pretty normal life because I was one of the people who were in the, I guess you could call them privileged groups where I was white, I was straight, I had two heterosexual parents, I was in the The path that Mormonism wants us to be in. So, I didn't have a lot of these horrific experiences that other groups of people have had. So, that being said, I had a pretty normal childhood as far as Mormonism goes. It's very high demand. That's why we call it a high demand group or high coercive control group or cult, my favorite, Um, because they really do take all of your time and attention. So, for example, Everyone knows you go to church on Sundays, but that is the least of it. It's like just a small little drop of what you're expected to do if you're Mormon. So some people may not know that they don't have paid clergymen on the church levels. So we don't have a pastor that gets up every Sunday and speaks to the congregation. We are assigned as a congregation to get up and give talks is what they call it. Hmm. And so they even assign these to children indoctrination much so i remember giving talks as early as 8 maybe even before that where your parents write something down for you and you just get up and read it and like i would like to bear my testimony and it's just really weird <laughs> so Joe so talks. having said that <clears throat> yeah of so ha- talks.
3: you guys were Joe, <laughs> Joe
0: talks smith talks um having said that Everyone in the church is responsible for doing something. It's all They say it's all volunteer-based, but what they don't tell you is that the people who are at the top top, like the Quorum of the Twelve, the Prophet, and I think even the Seventy, so there's like tiers. It's basically a big triangle pyramid scheme. Uh, The people (laughs) at the top make a lot of money, and they call it stipends, and they get free houses and jets and college for their grandkids. But people at the bottom are doing all the work for freezies. So Mm. you get what is called a calling. And that means you have a job to do within the church. So the reason I bring this up is because it's not just about hauling your butt to church every Sunday. You may have to get up super early and prepare a lesson. Not even just a talk. You may be a teacher, like a primary school teacher for the kids. So everyone gets these manuals and here's one thing about the Mormon church. They're super organized. I will give them credit where credit is due. No matter where you are on the planet, every Sunday, you are getting the exact same lesson, the exact same lesson. So they have it all written out for you. You have to follow it exactly. It will literally even say, if someone asks a question about, let's say, Joseph Smith polygamy, don't answer it. (laughs) It's that specific. So. You have these callings that you have to fulfill throughout the week. So my mom, for example, was a young women's president when I became a beehive (laughs) so many weird names every time i say them to other people i'm like yeah that's kind of weird so they have different levels and when you turn 12 as a girl or a boy you get split off into young women's or young men's and that means now you go to church on wednesdays too and you have these lessons where they teach you how to be either a good mother or successful for the boys (laughs) so i was
3: a uh, royal ambassador
0: Oh, that sounds fun. Was it fun or not fun?
3: <laughs> it was for the boys. They, they, everything's a wannas now in Baptist. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So we would do these things where we would meet at... I'm gonna, I want to give you some actual tangible lessons here because you guys are going to be like, Ugh. okay, so one of them, I remember we went to Logan. It's like 30 minutes away, but kind of the nearest town. And we tried on wedding dresses that were modest. Guys, we're like 12 to 17 years old trying on wedding dresses because that all they so want, all they want you to do is learn how to be a wife and mother. They don't want you to have a career. They don't want you to hold any sort of power in the house. Your job is to submit to the husband. And they say it, they don't say it so obviously until you get to the temple and you literally had to say, I, swear my allegiance to my husband and he swears it to God they changed it a couple years ago because people were starting to get upset about it because yeah misogyny much but that was my childhood was (laughs) the boys would be off doing cool scouts activities and tying cool knots and we were learning how to bake cookies or we were learning how Mm. to sew or we were learning how to change a baby's diaper like that's what we did as little girls oh and here's another one they would always tell you, they would always have lessons around going to the temple and getting married. So I remember lessons, again, I'm like 12, 13, writing in my journal, my uh, LDS booklets, like For Strength of Youth, and it wasn't for Strength of Youth, Personal Progress is what they called it, where we had to check off all these activities, like, go ask your grandma her favorite recipe and bake it together, and you would have to get it signed off. It was a whole thing. So anyway, we're writing in our little notebooks what we want in our future husband, and we're all writing returned missionary, so... Girls put a lot of pressure on the guys to go on missions because the women were told that you should marry a return missionary, so the guys feel obligated to go or else no one will date him if he's not a return missionary. We're writing down, wants to get married in the temple, wants to have a big family, just all of the things that they are programming us to want, but we don't even know what we want because we're 12. (laughs) So... So that was the type of grooming and indoctrination that I got as a very, very, very young kid. And then enter the most disgusting thing, which people are still trying to put an end to, which are the bishop's confessionals. So this is where it gets not just cutesy and fun and what's so bad about teaching a young girl how to be a mom. Sure. But then enters the sexual sin and the immodesty and the impurity and your virtue. And we would have these lessons. They they vary across the states, but it's basically an object, object lesson where there's a bunch of different versions. The teacher can come in with a plate of cupcakes because that was another thing they always had to bribe us with food at the end that was like the best part of church because it was three hours long when I went I think it's only two now three hours long you're starving and just want to go home and eat some food <laughs> and they so they would always bring us treats so they come in with cupcakes who wants a cupcake I want a cupcake I want a cupcake and then the teacher would take it and lick it and say who wants it now and we're like ew why did you do that and then they say this cupcake represents your purity Do you want to be a licked cupcake for your husband? (laughs) Yeah. I'll just let that sink in. A licked (laughs) cupcake. That's
1: that's the analogy we're going to use. A licked
0: cupcake? Oh, here's a worse one. Chewed gum. They would take, who wants a piece of gum? And then they would chew it. Who wants it now? And then they would do... I heard of someone doing a whole cake. They brought in a a literal beautiful cake and they were about to cut it and then they just shoved their fists into it and then said, who wants to eat it now? This is what they're comparing virginity to. And might I mention why this is also so damaging? Because first of all, we're talking about 12 year olds. So most of you are like, well, they probably don't even know what sex is at at that point because abstinence only, we don't have sex education. But... What about the young girls who have been molested, who have been sexually assaulted? Mm. They're looking at that thinking, that's what I am. I'm a licked yep. cupcake, I'm a used piece of gum. No one's gonna want me now. Do you know how incredibly yeah. damaging that is?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I mean, there there is no, there's no exceptions, right? And and, and that's the, the same story that we got in the cult that Bryce and I were in, right? Mm-hmm. If you're damaged goods, you're damaged goods. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter if if you grew up in a household where you were subject to abuse. You are mm-hmm. now damaged goods, and that's your fault, and it's your problem, and that's it.
0: And also, for those who may be thinking that's anecdotal, and maybe you didn't learn that in Sunday school, might I turn your attention to one of the prophets, and damn it, I wish I remember the name of him now, but there is a quote from one of the prophets who said, it is better to die... Trying to defend your virtue than having lived and lost it. Wow! So if if you're and you don't fight back to the death, and he rapes you, you're out of luck. You should have died fighting for it. That's how important it is. That's the level of that's the weight they put on virginity. It's so. Oh, it just drives me crazy because it's such a man-made concept. Like virginity shouldn't even be a thing.
1: And, and no. just as a, a reminder, this is mainstream Mormonism.
0: Right, yeah.
1: Th- this is the one with, what is it, 16 and a half million members worldwide? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, think that's just the, so sad.
0: the purity culture thing is the hardest for people to unravel when they leave. And we see it over and over and over again, which is why I think I did an entire episode on this with Exmo Lex talking about the damaging effects of purity culture. Because it's not just it's not just feeling bad within your body. It's not just the disconnect or the dissociation from your body. It has lasting effects, even if you are in your 50s or 60s and you leave the church, you will still hold that view of yourself and you will still also probably by default view others a certain way because of that programming. And so I try and tell people, look, we're not just saying that everyone should go have sex with everyone. It doesn't matter how old you are, blah, blah, blah. We're saying that there needs to be healthy boundaries. There's there needs to be communication, education, education, women should know all about their cycles and how it works and how you can only get pregnant at a certain time of the month if you're a regular cycle, how STDs work so that you can actually be safe, how to prevent pregnancy. Because the amount of teen pregnancies we had in my high school, population 5,000, it's got to be like at least three per year, three girls. And then I moved to Oregon and that's not even a thing. People are like, teen pregnancy? No, my mom just put me on birth control. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> like, I was so shocked. And also, there's not that, <laughs> that energy of, oh, that girl's a slut. That girl's a whore. Mm-hmm. The amount of times I heard that in fifth grade about someone who was just making out with somebody, it's just so damaging to project all of this negativity around your sexuality onto young kids because they grow up with that and it becomes ingrained and then when they get married and they're like okay have a bunch of kids and they're just like wait what now it's okay now I'm supposed to go from thinking it's the worst sin next to murder that's what they tell you the worst sin next to murder to just being okay in my body I don't even know how sex works I don't even know if it's supposed to hurt, a lot of women don't know how to get turned on, how to enjoy sex, because they were not taught, and they were taught that it was wrong, and they they shut off that biological part of themselves, and it takes years to unwind that.
3: On the oh, uh, yeah, on that one documentary I watched on the, and I can never remember the name the the, the Mormon uh, cult Eat, Sweet Obey, right? Um, so they they interviewed you know this young girl who was like you know fifteen. And he's telling her to do these things. And she's like, mm-hmm. Why is my prophet telling me to do the things that they were telling me I should never do? And what is going right. on? And they're just completely clueless about any of it beyond the fact that they're way too young. It's just mm-hmm. yeah, it's not taught. Now, they don't need to teach any of that <laughs> because you're not supposed to do it. And if you're not supposed to do it, then why should you know about it? But Exactly. That's why all the purity and absence stuff doesn't work because all of that negative pressure and all of those hormones and all of that stuff going on, eventually somebody's gonna crack and they're not gonna know the consequences.
0: Right, well even more than that, when it becomes the most dangerous is when these young girls are being assaulted and they don't know because they don't even really know what it means. They don't know that someone touching them there is necessarily wrong so it's it's a fine line because once you get to like 12 13 they tell you very explicitly no one should touch you their clothes on or off and then if anyone does it then you're a sinner and you need to repent and then there goes the bishop's interviews that i was getting to and somehow got sidetracked but any time before that these kids don't really know what's going on and so they could be being abused and they know that it doesn't feel right, but they also don't have words for it. Mm. And we know this, it's, it's been proven through all of these, these conversations I've done on my page. It's so prevalent and it's so obvious that the more extreme you get, the more restrictions you put on sex and purity culture, the more distortions and ugly and gross that it gets. Enter the Amish. So, mm-hmm. I had no idea until I interviewed a few of these women from completely different places with their own rules and their own communities who went through horrific abuse. And every single one of them is talking about, yeah, this is normal. Brothers, and I don't want to mm-hmm. say the R word, they're sisters. And, you know, men with bestiality, like all this mm-hmm. stuff, it gets so twisted but it's normal in those communities. They didn't even have a word for pregnancy. They, d- they just said, mom is with the sickness. It's her time of the year to have the sickness because they were supposed to be perpetually pregnant. Mom's belly's gonna swell. Oh, congrats, you have a brother. They don't know where the baby comes from. Like it's that, it's that extreme. And so it's so obvious to me when people say, purity culture isn't bad. I'm like, just look at the data surrounding yeah. being strict or not being strict mm-hmm. and what that brings forth.
1: Well, and and when you attach those kind of stigmas uh, to sex, well, well then you can't be open and honest about it with anyone. You have to Mm -hmm. hide it. You have to be secretive about it. And that's when you start getting, you you know, some of the just heartbreaking abuse at at home Mm -hmm. uh, that we see in a lot of these cults and, and cult type organizations. It's just it's it's disgusting. It's awful. Uh, But it's not surprising, unfortunately. Um, Mm -hmm. So what what about these bishop confessionals?
0: Yeah, that's where I was going to go next. All of that leading up to say, if you are a dirty, filthy sinner and you feel like you need to go repent, because that's one of the (laughs) (laughs) best parts about Mormonism is you self-police all of the guilt and shame that's going on in your own head. You don't need anyone else to tell you to do it. You are basically programmed to always be monitoring everything because they tell you that you can sin in your thoughts. You don't even Mm -hmm. have to do anything crazy. If you just think about it, you've sinned, you need to go repent. So I don't know how many other religions do this. Again, I grew up in a cult, but I am learning. I think it's rare for, for these confessionals to happen in such a way Where the bishop is required to ask very specific questions. Now, I know they do that in Scientology, so maybe that's the only comparison that I have. But as far as I know, when it comes to other Christian denominations, you go in and you just confess what's ever on your heart. You just say, Oh, I I did this, this, and this. And then the guy on the other side is like, Great, thanks for telling me. But when it comes to Mormonism, you start doing these interviews at eight years old because that's when you're baptized. You go in there and he asks you a whole bunch of questions, routine questions, and one of them is, are you living the law of chastity? Now, eight-year-old doesn't even know what that means, but when you get to 12, they very, very, very much tell you what that means, and now you are terrified that you are doing anything wrong. So from the age of 12 all the way up till you die, you have to go in one-on-one Speak to a bishop who, remember, is not trained in any sort of way. He is just called, as we explained before, to be a bishop over this congregation, which they call a ward. So it could be your your brother's best friend or your, your best friend's dad. It could be your dentist who you go in. It could be your uncle. It could be your dad. Huh. So you have to go in and confess, and I know a lot of people are probably thinking, just lie to him. No, 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 that's even worse. If you even consider lying, when you leave, you will feel like the scum of the earth and you will feel like Satan is gonna come and get me tonight because I was not truthful to the mouthpiece of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So you go in, and I remember one time, to give you some more context, tangible example, we were going to do baptisms for the dead, which we can talk about if you want. It's super weird and you do it when you're a kid and you're like a proxy for people who have died, who probably didn't say they wanted to become Mormon, but we did it anyway. <laughs> and you had to be worthy enough to go to the temple because the temple is the holiest place on earth and if you're not worthy, you cannot enter. They Now, they have these little temple recommends that they scan at the door. <laughs> and if your bishop didn't put in that you're worthy, beep, nope, get out of here, you can't come in. So- Would they
1: have key fobs for church now?
0: Yes, for temples, so not weird. for church, for temples. Only the super special elite can go to the temples, the big castle looking ones. Uh-huh. Like the regular everyday churches that are honestly super ugly and plain and boring that you see on every corner, anyone can go to those. But the temple is where you get the most blessings and the only way to get to the highest level of heaven, because there are levels, you have to go to the temple. So I go to this, I go to this interview with the bishop. I think I'm, I think I'm like 14 at the time because I had my first kiss early. Uh-oh. You have oh to wait no. till you're 16. <laughs> Dave, Mm-mm. you had it worse. You had to wait till marriage or you were told. She's but a bad girl, I, y'all. Look out. I had my first kiss, I remember. And that's a whole other story we could get into if you want to get into the guilt and shame of a kiss. But I remember going in and I was terrified because I had something to confess, guys. And I didn't know how this was going to go. You never know what the bishop's going to say. You could have a really cool bishop who was like, you're fine. And then another bishop that's like, nope, you're going to have to repent for this. You can't go to the temple and all your friends are going to know that you're a sinner. So I didn't know which way it was going to go. I go in there. I'm just shaking, terrified, which another funny story is previous to this, I had actually passed out in the bishop's office <laughs> because I had take, I had like injured myself somehow. My mom gave me this pain pill and I passed out in the bishop's office. And he's like, was it really that bad? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, it was that bad. <laughs> but anyway, I'm in there and um, and he gets to the law of chastity question and I just turn beet red. I look at the floor and I'm like. Well, um, I did kiss my boyfriend and, uh, I was kind of on top of him and, um, it was like, it lasted for a few minutes and, uh, that's it. I'm so uncomfortable telling this because it's so triggering. And he looks at me and he's like, Oh, Shalice, I am just so happy that you came in and told me Right, they're supposed to say that. They're supposed to like praise you for getting it off your chest. And then I'm just like waiting for the the answer. What's it gonna be? Is he gonna let me go? And then he says, you know what? You're more than worthy to go to the temple. And I was like, oh, Oh, so he was so scared. He was a cool bishop. He was a cool bishop. And I have not had a cool bishop since then. (laughs) That's basically (laughs) why I left the church. But I was so happy. But guys, here's the thing. So This is why it's so crazy and psychological, because you go through this emotional, mental, physical, spiritual torment, and then once you get it off your chest and you get that gold stamp from your neighborhood dentist, Mm -hmm. you are like, God, God has given me the keys of the kingdom. I am so worthy. You walk out there like, yep, I'm worthy to go to the temple. Are you? Like, you just feel so high on cloud nine. And you're like, I deserve this, you know, and you go to the temple and do the baptisms in their see-through jumpsuits, white jumpsuits, which are very uncomfortable. And you feel amazing. And so that's the cycle of feeling awful, Mm -hmm. feeling like you're worthless. And they literally tell you, you are unworthy unless you repent. And then you get this high. And so it just keeps repeating and you keep self-policing and you keep thinking, what am I doing wrong? Because they tell you, if you're not happy, it's probably because you're not doing something right. You need to pray more. You need to read your scriptures more. You need to, I don't know, go to church more or Ask for a calling or get more involved. And so when you're unhappy, especially if, if there's something that's out of your control. And again, this is why it's so damaging. If you have something like depression, you have a chemical imbalance mm. and no one's helping you. You just think it's your fault. And then you're right. praying and you're praying, God, please take this away from me. What am I doing wrong? You're not getting relief. And you just think it's your fault. Mm-hmm. So that's the psychological part that i um, that most people don't realize goes on within Mormonism even when you're in it Especially when you're in it because that's the cycle. That's how it goes guys. You do something bad you repent and then it's fine It's not that big of a deal. Just repent But they don't see how bad it is
1: It's this cycle of Manipulation and shame. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and I mean bryce and I have all the experience with this you know because while we didn't have these uh confessions you know when I went to uh one of the compounds in Indianapolis for the cult that I was in there were absolutely people that would just interrogate you for you know long periods of time asking you very personal graphic questions about so you did have the same lust. thing yeah. a similar but it wasn't it wasn't like a standardized practice for I us, didn't get right it. Nobody yeah.
3: nobody interrogated me. Granted, I, I blended into the, the blue and white wall and did not stand out or get noticed. But at those mm-hmm. conferences, um, for whatever reason, somebody decided they got to go up and confess something.
2: Mm-hmm. And then he
3: would break out and crying. And then there would be a line of people would go up there and start confessing all this stuff. And I'm just sitting there going like, bro, I don't, we don't need to know what you did in your room or yesterday. That's... <laughs> Nobody talk to your leader. Why are you? Yeah, and this was in front of thousands
1: of people. (laughs) Thousands of people. They would get up on a stage and confess uh, during these conferences and seminars that that Bryce is talking about. But the other thing that you that you you touched on, Shalise, that is just so it 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 resonates with me, right? And and that is the mental illness aspect of this. Um, That if you can't pray it away, whatever you're struggling with then there's something wrong with you,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? It's it's not, you know, maybe that, that you have an issue that needs outside help from a therapist or medication or whatever. This is what I went through with addiction, right? I prayed, mm-hmm. cried, asking God in church to take away the, the addiction that I struggled with and never found relief in church. And so I thought, well, God has just abandoned me. Uh, because that's what I grew up thinking. If I can't control my drinking and drug abuse, uh, well then I'm just living outside of God's will and there's no mm-hmm. hope for me. And that's exactly what, what these people, uh, in the Mormon church are experiencing going to these confessions where, you know, they just think they're beyond hope and beyond help.
0: Mm-hmm. And it also comes with higher prices when you get to adulthood and you're married. So they are hugely against pornography, which that's a whole discussion in and of itself, which we don't need to go down. But I think it's so damaging when you tell someone that they're the scum of the earth because they watch something, whether it's healthy or not. Like that's case by case basis. Let's just say that. If a woman catches her husband watching porn, I have heard of people getting divorced over that because Mm. of the emphasis that the church puts on pornography. They basically say it's like having an affair in your mind, which, again, can be argued. But the point is when you create the rules that are so rigid and so intense that people are getting divorced people who love each other people who wanted to be together for the rest of their lives are getting a divorced because of the rules that this church has placed on them that's wrong they shouldn't come between families like that especially when they say families can be together forever and we always exmos always laugh families can be together forever it's the only church that's like we have something special. You guys can be together forever. We're going to seal your family together forever. But the funny thing is, if you go to other churches, they look at you and they're like, "Well, yeah, everyone like everyone can be together for like we we plan on it." Like I don't yeah. You guys are the only ones saying that it may not be possible if you're not worthy. <laughs> so right. so they put all of this emphasis on the family unit, yet actively tear it apart in ways that make it impossible for a family to actually be happy together. So, another example is let's say you have a child. Let's say let's take me for example. If my parents were still active in the church and I'm out here living my best life in my tank tops talking about Mormonism, I'm clearly an apostate and I'm going to what they call outer darkness because they don't have hell, they have Outer darkness, that was another fun lesson in young women's we can talk about if you want. There's so many tangents, guys. So if that's the case, my parents are told that they did something wrong to not protect me from the grasp of Satan and then I'm literally skipping down Los Angeles sidewalk with Satan holding my hand and I'm, I'm lost. So they're gonna do everything they can to bring me back because if I don't come back, that breaks the chain in the family unit And our family won't be together in heaven. Now, let's get on an even darker path. Something that does happen. If you have a mother who has, God forbid, lost a child, whether it's a miscarriage, whether it's a child who's older, the child dies. If that child is under eight years old, we were taught that they automatically went to the highest level of heaven. They were just too pure. They went to heaven. If that mother decides I am struggling I need to drink some coffee I let's go a little bit stronger I just need a glass of wine to calm down this life is too hard it's very taxing or I don't know I want to wear some tank tops or whatever it is if they do something that strays them off of the path they are told that they will not be with their child in heaven on the opposite side they say, if you are worthy enough, if you go to the temple, which the only way to go to the temple, remember, is to get your little swipe card. How right. do you get the swipe card? By paying 10% of your income, by doing your bishop's interviews, by confessing, by staying worthy. If you do all of those things, then you will be with your child in heaven. Talk about pressure. Wow. So a
1: manipulation tactic.
0: Yes. So they tell you, you can, you can be with that child, you can raise that child in heaven, if you're worthy, do you think a mother is going to want to leave a church, even if it's toxic, even if it's mm. draining her mental health, even if she can't stand it anymore? If she knows that there's even the slightest possibility that she right. will see her child in heaven again.
1: Mm.
0: That's how deep it goes.
1: That's so evil, actually. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that to, to to create that kind of trap is really what it is. Um, you're trapping people in this mentality on the hope that they're going to see their children again someday. Mm -hmm. That's just awful.
0: Yeah. And that's why you have such extreme stories of parents who ostracize their children, who say to them, you're dead to me. If you leave the church, I don't want anything to do with you. Because they also teach that if you are hanging around people who have left, there's a chance that they will affect your salvation. They're going to tempt you. They're going to also lead you astray. And, Mm. For self-preservation purposes, they cut them off because of fear. They're too afraid to welcome their son who was gay into their home with his boyfriend because they actually literally came out and said, don't welcome them over for dinner because if you welcome over a gay couple, that means you're accepting of their lifestyle and they, they need to know that you don't accept them. You love them, but you don't accept them because accepting them means that you're okay with it and they're never going to change as if that's possible so it just creates so much division within the family unit i feel really lucky that i haven't had to deal with that with my immediate family because we all pretty much left and were like oh you're cool you're cool we're all cool here (laughs) but that's not (laughs) the case for a lot of people like my parents had the coming out call to me because they were terrified what i would say when they said that they left the church That's how extreme, like they literally got on the phone as if it were a bishop confessional and I'm the bishop with all the power because I was the super righteous one in the family. I was the one who read my scriptures every night. And if I didn't read my scriptures and I had nightmares, you better believe it's because I forgot to read my scriptures and Satan was coming after me in my dreams. So I was so in it and I had left the house. I was living in Vegas at this point and they call me on the phone and they're like, Shalice, we have something to tell you. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And they're like, well, we've done a lot of praying and researching, and you know, your father and I just we don't feel comfortable going to church anymore. But if you want to get married in the temple, we will do everything it takes to be there. Don't worry, like, this will not affect you. Because, fun fact, if you get married in the temple, which I will say, I need to look into this more. I believe they've slightly let up on their rules with this, but back when I was growing up, if you didn't have a temple recommend, you couldn't go to your own child's wedding in the temple, if they got married in the temple the right way. So they were terrified because I was super righteous Molly Mormon and they thought that I was still going and if they leave the church, they can't attend my wedding. So I was like, oh guys, you're fine. I left like eight months ago and the amount of relief (laughs) that I heard through the phone, they were like, oh my god oh that's such great news okay a champagne
3: great. cork firing off in the background
0: <laughs> seriously yeah because they were terrified that they were going to lose me their daughter in the opposite normally it's the other way around where a kid comes out to parents parents cut them off they thought the opposite was going to happen because of how devout i was and so that fear that anxiety of being cut off is so real. And that's why so many people never deconstruct. Mm-hmm. They don't have the space for it. They don't have the time. They don't have the the mental capacity to allow themselves to look into anything because they know if they were to find out all the things that I ended up finding out, and if they were to realize that the church is not what they say they are, they would have to stop going. And that could mean yeah. a total collapse of one identity, which is why active Mormons get so upset when I talk about these things because they feel personally attacked because the Mormon church is you. You are the Mormon church. You are one and the same. You feel attacked. Your personality, your identity collapses. Your social structure collapses. Your social life, especially if, if you live in Utah, that's who you associate with. You could lose your job if you work for someone who's a Mormon yeah. employer, and you could lose your family. So I don't ever say like, you have to deconstruct, you have to do the research, because it's hard. And people should only do it when they're ready, when they feel ready to take on that process.
1: Wow, that's, it's just so, uh, that, that's such an intense experience. And, and, and fortunately, you know, for, for me and for Bryce, you know, disentangling from IBLP was, was very different because it wasn't a church, right? right. Now, there, there could still be this ostracization, uh, you know, excommunication even for leaving IBLP, but I, I don't think it was as intense as what you're describing. Maybe for some people, but but not generally speaking. Um, that's just, no wonder there's so many people that, that stick with it even though they're not fully convinced it's even the truth anymore.
0: Right. Um, Honestly, most people do. Yeah, Most people do. And the ones who leave are usually, and this is actually statistically proven within Christianity as a whole. Um, I'm friends with Phil Drysdale and he has the Deconstruction Network. You guys should check him out on Instagram. He also has a podcast here on YouTube, but he gathers stats. And he has shown that the people who are more likely to deconstruct are the most faithful, are the ones who really want to understand the doctrine, who want to get to the bottom of stuff, who ask the most questions. Because oftentimes what happens is when somebody leaves, the congregation is taught to look at them and say, they never had a testimony. Clearly, they never even had faith, mm-hmm. but it's the complete opposite. It's the right. ones who are really, really looking into it, doing the work, wanting to know more. They uncover more than they should. And that's when everything starts to tumble and collapse. So the ones who are staying in are probably now not a blanket statement, but probably the ones who are just coasting who don't really ask questions on Sundays. They just get up, take the family, go. They have their feel-good moment of, oh yeah, I want to be a better person. Like what most people do in any church, go and get your fill of the Lord on Sundays. And it's fine and everything's happy. And then they look at people like me and they're like, why are you so pissed off? It's not that serious. But it's because they're not really doing everything in the way that they should. Maybe they're not really confessing because they don't feel that guilty because it's not that big of a deal. So there are levels to this and there are people who just go because they know that if their mom doesn't see them there on Sunday, then her mom, their mom will ask questions and they don't want to have to deal with that. They want to keep the the babysitter around. They want to keep a relationship with their mom. There's so many reasons why people will go they call it PIMO physically and mentally out because Mm. there's so much at stake.
1: I have so many uh, Mormon friends that, you know, are still active in the church, but I have several that have completely disavowed. Right. And it's exactly what you're talking about. Shalice, where they were at one point, extremely devout, extremely serious about their faith. Um, and, and then they started looking into it and realized, wait, where are all these discrepancies coming from, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and didn't feel comfortable being in this, in this church any longer because they saw that the truth was compromised there. Mm-hmm. But then, you, you know, the friends I have that are that are Mormon that remain in the church, it's exactly like you say. They're the ones that are just kind of coasting, and, and they use it for the social aspects. And, and yeah. they're still there because their family believes and are closely affiliated with the church. But they're drinking caffeine. They, they might mm-hmm. even drink booze Right. You, you <laughs> Those know? are the but Jack
0: Mormons. That's what we call yeah, the Jack Mormons.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and And they don't have a problem staying in because they're still living their lives. Yeah. You, you know, they're not subjecting themselves to these hard line, stringent rules.
3: I was just thinking it's interesting because like the church we went to was uh, definitely a more contemporary church, right? Uh, Christian rock music, dress shorts. Hey, the youth groups go into the river, all of that stuff. And it didn't have the uh, pressure to like, we got to see you every time the doors are open, except they didn't grow up under my mom. And my mm. mom, like when you're, we're homeschooled and like, this is the only place that we went and got to socialize and of mm. course to do things. And my mother had a very, like, you know, the church is life. The church is, we're going to structure everything we can around the church. Even if it's not as uh, conservative or as strict as she would have preferred, she, she was, we somehow made it work. So yes, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, wednesday and then of course on tuesdays like we were we were uh, watching the kids in the nursery for the ladies bible study and right and my dad became a deacon and now we're on the hospitality committee and now we're there on a saturday for somebody else yeah the chairs like we were just there we're in choirs we're in bible studies just obsessed with being at the church until she got upset with that church after X amount of years and now they have a different church, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's just, it is, it becomes the only, everything that goes around it.
0: That's exactly right.
1: We've talked about some, some pretty serious stuff, but I had some other questions about, you know, what it was like in the Mormon church um, that I think a lot of people get curious about. I I know having conversations with my Mormon friends, I've never really felt comfortable addressing it with them. And there's some people that just won't even talk about it at all, specifically relating to the garments. Uh, Um, I I know the garments are a big deal. The magic underwear, right? Yeah. Um, You know, I was talking to Calvin in fundamental Mormonism. They wear, you know, wrist length, ankle length garments. But I know that's not the case in uh, mainstream Mormonism, Mm -hmm. right? They're, They're wearing like onesies.
0: Yeah. So I can speak to that a little bit. I was lucky in that I never had to wear them. I was never um, worthy enough, if you will. <laughs> and usually you so there's two different ways that you get them either as a woman, either you go on a mission and that's the the two year service mission where you are dedicating your life sun up to sun down to the church. It's really exhausting. We've done lots of episodes on that. It can be really, really damaging. Then you have getting married. So usually they prefer that you get married instead of go on a mission because they want you to get married younger so you can have more babies. And people will fight me on this, but it is 100% the case. So 19 is like the common age that women will get married so i was actually 19 when i was seriously dating this guy for a year and i thought we were gonna get married because that's what you do and i met him in the singles ward and everything which it's a whole other thing my goodness there's so many things we could talk about garments so i didn't make it to that point so i was so glad I didn't have to wear these, especially because I lived in Vegas and holy crap, you're telling me I don't have to put another layer on under <laughs> my clothes. That's insane. Like people are dying of heat stroke over here. So the garments um, initially, just like the fundamentalists do. They went to your wrists, and they went to your ankles, and that's when they founded Utah. There has been this whole (laughs) revolution of the garments slowly getting shorter, and they still are, by the way. So I have very distinct memories of my parents' garments, and then I'll tell you what they look like now, to my knowledge. So when I was growing up, you had a couple options. For the men, they could wear the onesies. They looked ridiculous, guys. (laughs) They looked ridiculous on a dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it's a little onesie. And it comes up to here like a normal crew crew neck line for men's t-shirts. And then they went to about here on your arms. And then about to the knee. Maybe a little bit higher than the knee. And then there was a little spot where you just whip your penis out. So that was the <laughs> men's garments. and Or you could do like the, um, the pants and the separate shorts. But it seemed like a lot of guys actually liked the onesie because then it wasn't pulling up. It wasn't scrunching up so much under their pants because this has to be the closest thing to your body. And all garments, male, female, whatever, have special symbols on them. And they're very, very sacred to Mormons, which is why they won't talk about it. They are they're symbols on both of your nipples, one on your navel. And then where are the other ones? I'm not going to say because I don't want to mess it up. But guys, if you're in the comments and you know, you can let us know. Um, but basically, they're just little embroidered things. There's like one of them I think, a straight line. There's an X. It's like compass markings. And they have to do with oh, wow. the temple ceremonies in the temple. When you get your garments, you... Uh, I mean, that's a whole other episode is like temple stuff, but there's lots of really weird temple ceremonies that happen. In fact, I was able to witness one because my half sister got sealed to our family so we could be together forever. And I was allowed to go and be there for it. And when I saw the get up, I was like, what are these people wearing? It was like <laughs> a baker's hat for the dude. Look it up. You guys are going to crack up. Maybe you've already seen it. And um, some sashes. The women wear these really weird veils. There's this great Green apron, everything's white. You even have to wear like white stockings, I believe, and little white slippers. And then you have a green apron that represents Adam and Eve. So all that anyway, temple stuff is weird. So you get the garments when you go to the temple after you make all these sacred covenants with the Lord, and the garments are supposed to be your protection. So you right. wear them because you've gone to the temple and you've covenanted all of these things with God, which means in return He will protect you if you're worthy, if you wear your garments. So They would even tell people that, you know, so-and-so got in a car accident and their friend was just, like, beat up like crazy. They didn't have their garments on, but the guy who did have their garments on was protected. Like, they literally believe that, which is very silly because it's a very thin piece of cotton. Anyway, garments. So then you have the women's garments, what I remember seeing my mom in. She never wore onesies. In fact, I don't know if onesies were even an option for women. It's, like, a T-shirt same thing sleeves were about middle of the arm so it forces you to be modest because if your garments are showing that means you're not being modest and then and then to her knee so like little biker shorts and just as a reminder they have to be the closest thing to your body so you cannot wear underwear underneath you're just wearing a biker short so Women who are on their period, it can get a little dicey. They're like thin white cotton. And if you're wearing pads, that might get a little tricky. And these are pretty expensive, and you buy them from the church. So they're of making course. money oh. off of you. But do, you could only you get
1: multiple pairs of garments? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just
0: like underwear, you can buy as many as you want, as long as you're worthy and you have a temple recommend. Some people would say in the comments that, well, I was able to buy them without a recommend, but I specifically remember a time. This is so heartbreaking, and I think it's worth sharing. I went with my mom to the special garment store to get the garments, and I had to wait outside. She comes back out in tears and just is having a breakdown in the car. I'm probably a teenager at this point, 13, 14, and I'm just like, Mom, what's going on? What's wrong? And she just couldn't speak for like five minutes. And then finally, she got up the nerve to say, my temple recommend was expired and they wouldn't sell me the garments so she could not buy underwear because that little piece of paper before they could swipe them little piece of paper said that her temple recommend was expired by like a month which means she would have to go back to the bishop have a bishop's interview answer all those very very personal intimate questions before she could go back and buy her underwear It was such a traumatic moment that it has burned into my memory and I'm not even the one who felt guilty and ashamed. And there were this this line of people behind her silently judging her and giving her dirty looks like, she tried to buy garments without being worthy. Mm. It is so damaging. So I remember my mom wearing these and then you have to put the bra over top of the garments, which was the funniest thing because you couldn't put it underneath. And... Now they've gotten pretty short. So now you can wear like a cap sleeve. I think they're a little bit on an angle and they're a little bit lower. They used to be way up here. Now they're a little bit lower and they're shorter on the thighs. They're, I think, mid thigh now instead of to the knees. So it seems like with every generation, they're just getting a little bit shorter to. Right.
1: Right. Eventually, you're going to have cheeky shorts, garments.
0: (laughs) Cheeky shorts. Yeah. No. So the garments are really, really special and so sacred, in fact, that they say if you are done with a pair of garments, you've worn worn them out, you have to cut off the symbols and then you have to burn them so it's a a whole thing it's not just throw them away because you had a very violent period that month (laughs) you have to burn (laughs) your garments so taking off your garments is a really really big deal and it signals to the world i'm out like once you take off your garments people will know and they will a hundred percent recognize she's leaving the church because it is such a big deal to take them off and my mom would explain it to me when she started taking them off, she felt so guilty and so ashamed because she had been wearing them for so long. She didn't like them. They didn't, they weren't comfortable, but taking them off, she felt naked. She felt naked to Satan, right? Because they teach you it's a protection. She just felt, oh no, what What if something happens now? Or what if the church is true and this is all wrong? And and they would wear their garments on family vacation so that their brothers and sisters wouldn't see that they had left the church because that's the number one thing. Or they would do the thing that you can get around with, which is wearing a swimming suit. That's one reason you don't have to wear them or working out. I was
1: literally going to ask about what that. about The swimming? swimming suit. Yeah. Yeah. So if, you don't have to wear them swimming. exposed at that point, like if, if, if there could be horrific accidents while you're swimming or at the beaches, is... is a high probability scenario, and that's the one time you can't wear your garments?
0: Well, fun fact, Satan rules the waters according to Mormonism, which is why missionaries can't swim. (laughs) But baptism's fine. It doesn't make sense. We don't know the answer to that. But basically, Satan rules the waters. (laughs) Be careful, y'all. Hope you're worthy while you're swimming. So that's how people would get around it when they would go on their vacations to Hawaii with the family. My mom's like, Oh, I'm about to go swimming and she would just leave her swimsuit on with her cover up so that she never had to put on regular clothes and her garments. And then you also see that a lot in Utah where these active Mormons will just bounce around in their cute little yoga pants and workout tops because they're about to go to the gym. Not really. They just don't want to wear their garments and they just want to look cute.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's So, so interesting. Okay.
0: Yeah. And also the rules have changed. So I'm told based on people commenting, based on generational stories. So I was told that like in my grandma's day, for example, you were supposed to even have sex with your garments on. Like you just move them aside and you got to keep, keep the Lord in the bed with you. But now it's like you can take them off. I even heard of someone saying that they had to shower with them on like Put an arm on and hang it outside the shower while you wash other parts of your body. It was crazy. You don't have well, to yes, do that anymore. So yes, you don't anymore. slip and
1: fall in the shower, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, That's, you got to be that safe. That would be the
1: whole problem. <laughs> you
0: got to be safe. That's
1: ridiculous.
0: So it's loosened up quite a bit is the whole point of this. And I think eventually mm-hmm. they're just going to say wear them if you want. But... Yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where Joseph Smith said, this is how it's going to be. And the rules are never changing. And if anyone tries to change the temple ceremony, it's void, the whole thing. But it's continued to evolve. It's continued to change. They've taken out some of the problematic language because people are not okay with it. As society changes, they're kind of forced to change in some ways. And then in other ways, they double down, which end up being really harmful. But It's just it's just funny when people are like, this is the true gospel and it's never going to change. I'm like, hmm, let's just (laughs) look back a few years because it already has quite a bit.
1: (laughs) Well, and I feel like that's every one of these uh, high control, high demand religions, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Where
1: they they say we've got an absolute hold on the truth. We have a monopoly on the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you see it shift a little bit. And, and, and that's, you know, one specific friend of mine who who, who left the Mormon church. That's exactly why uh, he saw how the rules had changed from one generation to the next. Mm-hmm. And his philosophy was, well, if that was the absolute truth then, but it's changed now, then it was never absolute truth. Right. And maybe it's not true at all. And then he started doing his digging and his research and, and realized, I don't want to be affiliated with this anymore.
0: Yeah. yeah,
3: that's how I feel about picking and choosing, you know, bits and pieces of the Old Testament. Mm. It's like, look, in the same chapter where they're talking about don't do this. They also say don't don't divorce, but it's the same consequence if, if you're doing, you know, this really evil thing, but it's also divorce, but you're just ignoring that. What are we doing? What's What's mm-hmm. happening?
1: Yeah. You end up cherry picking what works exactly. for you and what's convenient for you.
3: It's like, just reprint the Bible the way you want it so that it's at least consistent.
0: (laughs) Enter Jehovah's Witnesses. Enter Mormons who have their own Bible. Anyway, I want to give you guys a really tangible example of how the church has grown and shifted and changed and pretended they were never that way. So this is something that is really dark and disgusting, trigger warning, murder. So back in Brigham Young's day, when he settled Utah, he had something called the blood atonement. And... It's so awful, I'm just gonna get into it. Basically, if I go to my mom and I'm like, mom, you're drinking coffee, you're drinking shots, you're drinking wine, whatever, I need you to repent because I want to be with you in heaven. And she says, no, Shalice, I like my tequila. And I said, well, mom, if you don't repent, you're gonna go to outer darkness. And she's like, that's fine. I'll see you there with my tequila. I can go to her and slit her throat and spill her blood on the ground to save her soul what this was happening in utah in brigham young's time the second prophet of the church the guy right after joseph that settled utah this is called the blood atonement and active mormons are gonna say shalice you have lost your mind i cannot believe you would say something so defamatory about our lovely brigham young please look it up
3: it's basically honor killings Mm -hmm.
0: So if you were to watch Under the Banner of Heaven, which is based on a book, which is a thoroughly researched... This guy spent... John Krakauer spent four-plus years researching this within fundamentalist communities because there are still some fundamentalist communities who practice blood atonement. Okay? It's really disgusting. So when you watch Under the Banner of Heaven and you think this is a crazy fairy tale, this actually happened in the 70s because... There was a a family who was so devout, wanted to learn more about Joseph Smith, wanted to get back to the original ways. They felt like the mainstream Mormons were doing it wrong, like the fundamentalists say. So they started looking into fundamentalism, started learning all this stuff. They go and kill, murder, slit the throats of their sister-in-law and an infant, a child. Oh,
2: my God.
0: Because they wanted to save their soul what were their crimes? They were just being mainstream Mormon. That's what they were doing wrong, according to the murderers. And in prison- This was in
1: the 1970s?
0: Yes. Yes. Because when people really start to look at the original teachings of the church, it's dark. It's Mm -hmm. really scary. And there's stuff going on that people don't know about. And that's Mm. one of the things that has obviously changed. But- some people get their hands on it, and they think that's what the prophet of God taught. Why did we stop doing this? And that's why it can be so awful.
3: He, if I can't remember who, if it was Joseph Smith or Brigham Young, like, like a group of Mormons, like they split off and they went and like dressed up like Indians and wiped them out. I the mean, Mountain Meadows massacre. Yeah, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that 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 guy did, all in the mm. name of. I'm right and you're wrong, basically.
0: Yep, yep. And then you have something as recent, which we just talked about in my episode with Nuance Ho, Mormon propaganda, where you have these animations, these cartoons of... They're depicting Native American kids who the Mormons say are the descendants of the Lamanites, who according to the Book of Mormon Scripture are... (laughs) So dumb. Book of Mormon Scripture, I just have to preface this. The Hebrews came... Settled, um, settled the states, settled North America. They had all these fights, whatever. This is what the Book of Mormon is. It's talking Mm -hmm. about other, another group of people who didn't exist. Um, and they say that the Lamanites did something wrong and God cursed them with dark skin as their punishment so that the white men wouldn't be enticed by them and wouldn't want to procreate with them. That's who they say the Native Americans are, are the Lamanites. Mm -hmm. Literally. Indigenous people in the United States are supposed to be the Lamanites. So back in the day, by that I mean like 50 years ago, they had what what was called the Indian placement program, where they would pull children from their reservations, put them in white Mormon families' homes, and then... One of the prophets lined them all up after who knows how long, like maybe a year or so, and took pictures and said, see, they're becoming white and delightsome because they're becoming more righteous. And so, yes. So this was... Not that long ago, and I just posted this. Was it yesterday or days ago? And I'm getting so many people in the comments saying I was a part of that program, or I knew someone who was a part of that program, and they had a horrible life, or I never understood why they were struggling, or I never understood the comments that people were making about their skin color, because they literally, literally believed that you could become whiter if you were more holy, if you were more worthy, and so you have women who were, and I know this because John Dylan Mormon Stories, did an episode with women who were part of this. They were trying to bleach their skin with lemons because they oh, wanted wow. people to think that they were <sighs> righteous. And it's so disgusting and it's hard to even talk about. But this is some of the doctrine that has changed because now they will just pretend it didn't happen. But <laughs> it's so disgusting and it's not that long ago.
2: Yeah.
3: If I recall, like, they were one of the reasons that they uh, discovered an exception on the whole skin color thing is because the government was going to remove their tax-exempt status. And yeah, like, and their oh, accreditation wait, wait, from BYU. We found a book. Look at this book says we were wrong. It's like, what? <laughs>
0: So that was the, the ban on black people holding the priesthood. So mm-hmm. they have lots of racism baked into Mormonism, but one of them, aside from the Lamanites, was that black people couldn't hold the priesthood because of the Mark of Cain and because they were less valiant in the preexistence where they, they didn't follow Jesus's plan and they didn't follow Satan's plan. They were fence-sitters and that's why they have black skin. It's awful. Whoa. It, yes. And so they had a ban on black people going to the temple, holding the priesthood means when you're 12, you're like given the power of God, if you're a boy and they weren't allowed those blessings until 79, I believe also not that long ago,
1: very recent in the grand scheme of things. Yes,
0: but it's after the civil
1: rights movement, let's just acknowledge that
0: way after. So one of the reasons that I've been told is because BYU was about to lose their accreditation as a university because they weren't, they had so much segregation, they weren't allowing black people to join. Or I don't know exactly, but I know for sure that it was something to do with BYU and it was something to do with they were expanding into South America, into African countries. And they realized, wait a second, if these people can't go to the temple, that means they're probably not going to pay us tithing. We should just reverse that so that we can continue to grow our empire
1: wow it's i mean it's just once again these manipulation these control tactics that that end up getting used um even though you don't have a a paid clergy like you said it's all in the interest of money and power
0: yeah well the the people at the top are paid the profits are paid oh, right. very yeah. handsomely. Mm-hmm. So like I was saying, it's very much a pyramid scheme. No one at the bottom gets any of the money. In fact, we were <laughs> we were supposed to clean the church houses so they would assign families to clean the church buildings. When they have billions of dollars of income, I believe the statistic is they get 10 million or no it might actually be 10 billion i'm gonna to have to look this up it's either 10 million or 10 billion either way it's a lot of money per year in tithing from their members and they can't even hire someone to clean the church building they are having i saw a post of um it was a temple looking for people to do the landscaping looking for volunteers for people to have the wonderful opportunity to come and do landscaping for god's temple
1: Rather than hiring a contractor that does this for a living. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And I mean, that was very similar with with IBLP, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and, and Bryce knows this better than anyone. They had these compounds all over the world, and they were predominantly staffed with volunteer workers.
2: Mm hmm.
3: I mean, I was you know. one of the righteous. I got paid, you know, the minimum wage of like $5. Yeah. fifteen an hour. So they wow. still took out they still took out room and board. It was like $100 oh a hundred bucks a week God. or something. Yeah. What?
1: <laughs> so it's just That's crazy. they got to the get same, their cut. Yeah, it, and and it's always going to be these same tactics. Uh, it, you know, the similarities between you know even mainstream Mormonism and, and IBLP. I mean, I identify closer. You know, with my upbringing in in the Shiny Happy People cult with with fundamental Mormonism, but quite honestly, there's there's so much crossover even with mainstream Mormonism. It's just all so familiar, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think it's because you know they they use the exact same tactics the the hyper fixation on human sexuality. I, I every single high demand organization, every cult that that I've run into. There, there's always that element of sexuality mm-hmm. that they just become obsessed with. Yeah. It's yeah. so weird, uh, but I think it allows them to to get the control that they need to, to keep people in their groups. There's so yeah. much more uh, that we have to cover. I, I mean, th- this barely scratches the surface of, of what I wanted to talk to you about, but your story is just so interesting. Uh, I would love to... Uh, maybe maybe do a live stream with you uh, after this episode to talk more uh, about your experience, not not just in the Mormon church, but getting out of the Mormon church and what life has been like adjusting. Sure. Uh, outside the bubble. Right. Um, so if, if you'd be willing to do that, I think. Uh, and, and let's get some some questions answered that, that I know our subscribers have. I think that would be uh, I think that would be really cool
0: yeah i think that would be great i can definitely rant forever as you've noticed so i'm happy to jump on anytime it's always a fun time chatting with you guys so just let me know
1: yeah we will absolutely get that scheduled as quickly as possible follow chalice chalice where uh <laughs> where can folks follow you obviously your youtube channel Cults to
0: Consciousness. Yeah, Cults to Consciousness on YouTube and Instagram. I'm not super active on my TikTok um, or my Twitter, but those are the two main ones. If you wanted to follow my personal page, it's at Shalice Ann. But yeah, we do a lot of fun stuff. Come over if you're interested in all the horrible stories of people that are exposing the cult like atmospheres and just the cults in general of the world that you probably didn't know existed. And thank you, yeah. Davey. You guys are and Bryce, you guys are doing a thing over here. I recognize and appreciate all the work that you guys are putting into all of this. It's so important. And so I'm just so grateful to be your friend and be your partner in crime.
1: Well, thank you, Shalise. Y'all you. check out her videos on YouTube. They are some of the most interesting content you will ever watch. And <laughs> while you're here, check out my new comedy special, The Cult Kid. All yes. about my life growing up in the cult. Uh, that was such a fun experience uh, getting to record and release that. Uh, so check that out. Um, please like, comment, and subscribe. And we will see you next on the live stream with Shalise. Thank you all so much. We love you.